I'm Steve Guggenheim, and this is Travel with Googs. I'm of the Vietnam War generation. It's a long story, but I did everything I could short of going to Canada to avoid going into the service and possibly heading to Southeast Asia. Why, then, did I plan a trip there? Yes, I know it's peaceful all these years later, but it still seems odd to me that I decided to go. But go I did to one of the most fascinating areas this world has to offer. Our four-country trip started in Thailand. On a trip that far away, we generally go a day early to get acclimated to the time change, and as insurance should weather cause any delays. The first night on our own, we stayed at the beautiful Bangkok Marriott. Getting there from the airport was eye-opening. If you think New York City has traffic congestion, you ain't seen nothing yet. Cars, trucks, and thousands of scooters jamming the roadways in what seemed to be unorganized chaos. The next day, we headed to the hotel that was arranged by tour company Overseas Adventure Travel to begin our escorted vacation, but we couldn't find it. The cab driver had no luck transiting the narrow alleyway searching for our destination. But fortunately, my wife realized where we were and we arrived safely. My sense of direction is horrible. Luckily, hers is a lot better than mine or the cabbies. Bangkok is a wild city with a lot of action. That night, New Year's Eve, We were left on our own. We wandered around the area for a while to discover we were right near the red light district. Sex shows of all kinds beckoned us, as did scantily clad women, but we skipped them. By now we were starved but afraid of the food, not knowing how safe it was, so we ended up at a terrible fast food outlet. It turns out we didn't have any digestive problems on the trip, and most of what we ate was good, some downright excellent. The next day we toured the area in small groups. Some visited fancy gardens, while I headed to see some of the famous Thai kickboxing. We were taken to a slum area where OAT sponsors a gym to keep the kids off drugs. After a demonstration, we were given a tour. It was eye-opening to see the poverty, with large families living in beaten-down one-room apartments. The area, with an eye view of the skyscrapers, is where many of the low-level workers live. One day, we took a fascinating visit to the Grand Palace, which gave birth to the King and I, which took place in Siam, which is now Thailand. It is very crowded, but worth a visit. Your eyes will feast on amazing and strange statues, as well as temples, monuments, and jewels. We got out of the city on several memorable day trips. On one, we passed a tilapia farm, thousands of the fish in dirty water. I haven't had tilapia since. We had lunch at an outdoor restaurant before boarding boats for a tour of the narrow canals ending up at one of Thailand's floating markets. Dozens of longboats sell all kinds of food, clothing, and souvenirs. It's very touristy, but a sight you must see. Another day, we boarded small motorboats and were given bunches of bananas. We soon found out what they were for. We arrived at an area that was filled with colonies of monkeys on both sides of the water. As we started throwing the bananas to them, more and more arrived until we were out of the bananas. More and more squawking as they wanted more of them. One jumped onto our boat, and I was so startled that without thinking, I jumped up. The monkey was just as startled and thankfully jumped off the boat. It was amazing, fascinating, and creepy all at the same time, and we were all glad when we headed back home. On one of the trips, we visited a water village. All of the houses are on boats, including a gym and basketball court. We visited one woman's house to learn about her life. In the back of the houseboat was an underwater cage filled with crocodiles. She raises and then sells them so she can afford to pay for a wedding when one of her seven children is ready. Weddings there are very expensive, extravagant, seven-day affairs. 
Each day, the bride and groom dress up in different, very fancy, elaborate outfits. When the Mekong floods, the entire village floats down to another area. And when the water recedes, they float back to where we saw them. They live a nomadic life with no country to call home since none of the countries claims them. From Thailand, it was off to Laos in the city of Long Prabang. I never thought of Laos except for its involvement in the Vietnam War and was quite surprised to discover a friendly, beautiful country. The city was picked as one of the 52 places to visit by the New York Times and that was featured on Lonely Planet. It lies at the confluence of the Mekong and Khan rivers. Long Prabang is in northern Laos and was the royal capital until 1975. It has a long history of Buddhism. One morning we got up at 4 a.m. to feed the monks. They make a long line in their saffron robes as they head to one of the monasteries. You're given small chairs to sit on and a large bowl of rice, which you parcel out to them as they head to morning prayers. The people are very friendly and nearly everyone gets around on motor scooters. When greeting you, they put their hands together in a sign of prayer and bow, even little kids on the scooters. Somehow families with several kids ride together in an amazing balancing act. It is a great city for just walking around and soaking in the culture. One of the things you'll discover is the open market, which has all kinds of goods and spices. You may be surprised to find there are a number of first-class international restaurants there. You'll also find a very long, winding stairway that climbs up a tall mountain for majestic views of the area. But you'd better be in shape if you expect to make it to the top. We also visited Vientiane, the largest city of the country, and its capital to see the Palace Museum and Buddhist shrines. Cambodia was the most surprising country on our visit, hitting on mo emotions on both sides of the scale. We went to one of the killing fields, sites where more than a million were killed during the rule of the Khmer Rouge in the late 70s. They eliminated a whole generation and virtually anyone who had any kind of education. Our guide said very few people have grandparents. I won't go into some of the gruesome sites, but our guide did survive because he was an artist who drew pictures for the regime. It is tough to see, but well worth a visit to understand what happened during that period of the country's history. But on the other end of the scale is the capital, Phnom Penh. It's the liveliest city I've ever seen, making New York seem tame in comparison. It's a testament to people's ability to move forward. It is very crowded, and you'd better watch where you go because the thousands of motor scooter riders don't think anything about going up on the sidewalks to get around the stifling traffic. One major mode of transportation is tuk-tuks, motor scooters pulling a cabin that holds up to four people. You take your life in your hands when you ride them as they dart in and out of traffic, cutting off trucks and buses and anything else in their way, but it is the most exhilarating ride you'll ever take. We couldn't stop laughing each time we took one. One of the most fun things we did was go to a large amusement park right in the city. People know how to have a good time there. Northern Cambodia is home to Angkor Wat and Angkor Thom, and we visited both. Angkor Wat is the most ancient of the seven wonders of the world. It's a giant Buddhist temple complex and the largest religious monument in the world, consisting of scores of temples and structures. It was built in the 12th century and encompasses an area of about 500 acres. One thing you have to watch for are wild monkeys. Though we never had any problem with them, but having been creeped out by the monkeys in Thailand, I was especially wary. They can grab handbags and cameras, so you have to be careful. Nearby is Angkor Thom, a walled city-state with various temples, which for some reason I enjoyed more than its famous cousin. 
There is a lot of walking and climbing to the top that can be intense, though coming down the narrow steps is even more treacherous. We were able to climb around and explore both temples. From there was on to Vietnam, the place I long dreaded. We arrived in the capital Ho Chi Minh City, formerly known as Saigon, though we were told residents still refer to the central city by its former name. The first day we visited the beautiful main post office that was constructed in the late 19th century and is a beautiful sight to see, designed in the Gothic, Renaissance, and French styles. From there, you can barely get a glimpse of one of the main buildings I was looking forward to seeing, the former CIA headquarters. Helicopters lifted survivors off the route as the capital fell and North Vietnamese soldiers entered the city. I envisioned this tall building, but it really is only a few stories high. More interesting, especially if you remember the Vietnam War, is the Independence Palace. You're shown the places where peace talks occurred, ornately designed rooms, and private bunkers. The city itself is very lively and crowded, with the main transportation being thousands of motor scooters that zip through the city. Be careful walking the streets, because all of a sudden a scooter may be buzzing through those narrow alleyways. The cuisine is very good, everyone is very friendly, and they love Americans. We were taken to a slum area where families live in one-room apartment. It was an eye-opening experience, but the people seemed quite happy with their lives. One of the most fascinating places we visited were fields where a lot of the fighting took place. We had a long talk with a former Viet Cong fighter who lost an arm in the war. Growing up during the war, I hated the dreaded Viet Cong, but I got a different feeling after talking with him. He was an uneducated 17-year-old farmer when war broke out. He said politics never entered his mind when he became a soldier, and it made me think differently when he asked what we would do if foreigners invaded our land. He has nothing against the Americans saying the war was a long time ago. The tour was especially fascinating since this is where the Kuchi tunnels are located. U.S. soldiers said the Viet Cong would appear out of nowhere and then disappear. It's because they built underground tunnels that included bedrooms, dining rooms, and a hospital. He lifted a small square of grass, approximately a one foot by one foot, just barely enough to fit through, and there was a shaft leading to the tunnels. I'm normally claustrophobic, but was able to go underground to see the tunnels. They're big enough with that you can stand going from one room to the next. They also designed hidden shafts. You'd be walking along and all of a sudden the grass would give way and down you'd go, landing on sharp spikes. This is a must-see if you go to Vietnam. On one of our day trips, we stopped for a bathroom break. Luckily, they have flush toilets, but many Asians use a hose to clean themselves. I never did figure out how to do that without undressing and taking off my clothes. In the front of the highway rest stop were a number of hammocks, which is fairly common. Drivers who need a break stop and snooze before they continue their trip. I wish we had that here in the U.S. I was excited and apprehensive to go on this trip, but found it one of the most fascinating areas in the world. A trip to Southeast Asia should definitely be added to your bucket list. I've encouraged others to go and they come back having the same feelings. You'll discover a part of the world that is beautiful, interesting, different, and meet some fascinating people. And one final thing, by daring, take a chance with the food. You may discover a cuisine that delights your senses. I'm Steve Guggenheim, and this is Travel with Googs.